Well, as you can glean from the title of this podcast, today, Sunday, February 28th, 2021, the absolutely wonderful Anchor Fellowship has reconvened at Cafe 225 here in Colorado Springs. And what a joy to finally see 40 of you out of the many of you that there are. And just thank you. Thank you for sticking with us over this last almost year apart. Thank you to those of you who did join us on Zoom throughout the summer and fall. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have the opportunity now for hopefully the long run to be back together and enjoying your presence. Well, as we talked about earlier today there at the cafe, I, I want to draw you into a particular scene from the four Gospels. I want to talk about why it's so meaningful to me on the back end of almost a year apart in person from so many of you. And then I want to dive into where we left off last fall on the Zoom anchors. So I want you to imagine a particular split second in the course of human history. Just a second that went by like every other second for everyone else in all the world, except for one man. In the moments before this second, that man was motioned to by another man. Come with me. And so he followed that man outside of his village. We can imagine them walking along together, winding their way along a trail until they're now standing on the brow of a cliff top overlooking the sea. Neither of them is looking at the sea. They're now squared off to each other, and the one is motioning to the other, trying to explain with gestures what he's about to do. The other man stares silently at the gesturer, just as he always does with everyone, trying to make some sense of it. You see, the man who's about to experience the split second of his whole life, the, the redefining moment, stands on the top of that rise, unable to hear and unable, we're told, to speak intelligibly. His whole life, the every single second that is fleeted before this, the every single day after day after day after day, has all been a great silence. Every moment has been a vacuum of the senses. Until now. Until the man standing opposite suddenly plunges his index fingers into his ears, holding them there for one very awkward second. Then, dabbing the, the tips of his fingers across his own tongue, the man opens the other's mouth and gently touches the tip of his tongue. Then he glances up to heaven, lets out a deep breath. His lips move, he has just whispered the command, open. The split second is happening now. It is happening before the deaf man even realizes. He suddenly hears the breeze through the seagrass, the distant calls of the seagulls, the whistling of a shepherd in a nearby field. He can hear the sound of the village market, the laughter of school children, the jangle of riggings on a boat down below. All at once, 
he hears it all. We can imagine that the experience nearly staggers him until looking forward again, meeting the eye of the healer, he hears the very first question he's ever heard. How does it all sound to you? Friends, over the last year, I've had the chance to teach by Zoom, uh, lead retreats by Zoom, even counsel by Zoom. And I've eventually, like you, gotten to start seeing some people again in person. And then I've taken walks with people. I've sat at outdoor cafes. I figured out all kinds of creative ways to connect. I mean, like you, I've absolutely missed the normalcies of our normalcy. But I also have one big observation, and that's having listened to hundreds of people's experience of this year. For absolutely everyone, it has brought either the realization that they had been deaf to the voice of the Lord, or in the midst of all the pain of this last year, they suddenly felt deaf to him. Like, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? So again, Either the pandemic brought awareness of spiritual deafness, or it seemed over the last year to actually cause it. That is what I have gleaned from everyone. And I'll tell you, there have been no exceptions. So in our reconvening on this particular day, as we relish the sensation of the joy of our fellowship, however you have come either to Cafe 225 or to this particular podcast, Here's my invitation for you, that together we are going to square ourselves off to him, lock eyes with him week after week, and we will hear from him. We will let him open our eyes, our hearts, and as so importantly, our ears. We will together again hear directly from him. That is my absolute promise to you. That's all I want for myself. So where are we going to begin? Well, where we left off. Last November, mid-November, at our last Zoom anchor, we actually finished up Romans 7. And so here we are at Romans 8. And so with our open hearts and with these ears that I am promising you, he is in the business of constantly opening and reopening, I just want you to listen to the absolute grandeur of Romans 8. No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. For the new spiritual principle of life in Christ lifts me out of the old vicious circle of sin and death. The law never succeeded in producing righteousness. The failure was always the weakness of human nature. But God has met this by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to live in that human nature which causes the trouble. And while Christ was actually taking upon himself the sins of men, God condemned that sinful nature so that we are able to meet the law's requirements so long as we are living no longer by the dictates of our sinful nature, but in obedience to the promptings of the Spirit. The carnal attitude sees no further than natural things. But the spiritual attitude reaches out after the things of the Spirit. The former attitude means 
bluntly, death. The latter means life and inward peace. And this is only to be expected, for the carnal attitude is inevitably opposed to the purpose of God, and neither can nor will follow his laws for living. Men who hold this attitude cannot possibly please God. But you are not carnal, but spiritual, if the Spirit of God finds a home within you. You cannot indeed be a Christian at all unless you have something of his Spirit in you. Now, if Christ does live within you, his presence means that your sinful nature is dead, but your spirit becomes alive because of the righteousness he brings with him. I I said that our nature is dead in the presence of Christ, and so it is because of its sin. Nevertheless, once the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives within you, he will by that same spirit bring to your whole being new strength and vitality. So then, my brothers, you can see that we have no particular reason to feel grateful to our sensual nature or to live life on the level of the instincts. Indeed, that way of living leads to certain spiritual death. But if, on the other hand, you cut the nerve of your instinctive actions by obeying the Spirit, you are on the way to real living. All who follow the leading of God's Spirit are God's own sons. Nor are you meant to relapse into the old slavish attitude of fear. You have been adopted into the very family circle of God, and you can say with a full heart, Father, my Father. The Spirit himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are the children of God. Think what that means. If we are his children, we share his treasures. And all that Christ claims as his will belong to all of us as well. Yes, if we share in his sufferings, we shall certainly share in his glory. In my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared to the magnificent future God has planned for us. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The world of creation cannot as yet see reality, not because it chooses to be blind, but because in God's purpose it has been so limited. Yet, it has been given hope. And the hope is that, in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. It is plain to anyone with eyes to see that at the present time, all created life groans in a sort of universal travail. And it is plain, too, that we who have a foretaste of the Spirit are in a state of painful tension while we wait for that redemption of our bodies, which will mean that at last we have realized our full sonship in him. We were saved by this hope. But in our moments of impatience, let us remember that hope always means waiting for something that we do not yet possess. But if we hope for something we cannot see, then we must settle down to wait for it in patience. The Spirit of God not only maintains this hope within us, but helps us in our present limitations. For example, 
we do not know how to pray worthily as sons of God, but His Spirit within us is actually praying for us in those agonizing longings which never find words. And God, who knows the heart's secrets, understands, of course, the Spirit's intention as He prays for those who love God. Moreover, we know that to those who love God, who are called according to His plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. God, in His foreknowledge, chose them to bear the family likeness of his son, that he might be the eldest of a family of many brothers. He chose them long ago. When the time came, he called them, he made them righteous in his sight, and then lifted them to the splendor of life as his own sons. In face of all this, what is there left to say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not grudge his own son, but gave him up for us all, can we not trust such a God to give us with him everything else that we can need? Who would dare to accuse us, whom God has chosen? The judge himself has declared us free from sin. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us? Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble, pain, or persecution? Can lack of clothes and food, danger to life and limb, the threat of force of harms? Indeed, some of us know the truth of that ancient text. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We were accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below, nor anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking and sort of taking apart Romans 8 to come at it from many different angles, to actually internalize it in fresh uh, hearing from him new ways. But as you listen to that, isn't our position on earth and with him in heaven an absolutely marvelous, magnificent position? I hope it came across to you in the way it's been coming across to me over the course of this winter, how completely it is finished and how totally he is caring for me and for you today and how glorious is our call to simply follow him one day at a time. So if you have a chance this week, as you listen to Romans 8, what was striking you? Where was he grabbing your heart and your ears in fresh ways? Reach out and tell me about it. I always love to hear from you, my wonderful friends. Thanks for listening.